I saw this huge spider crawling all the way up my wall onto like the pocket ceiling and it stayed there for hours and I was like, I cannot take this out myself. How many spiders are in my room currently and I don't know about them. <laughs> Seriously, you're like making me wonder about everything in my house. I'm just like spiders, spiders everywhere. Plot twist, the spider is Gina Rodriguez. <laughs> that would be the case. She does violate other Latinas. <laughs> I guess this is our entrance into our new podcast episode. Welcome to episode five. At this time in real life, in two days, our first episode will be released. Yes. So we don't know whether you've stuck with us these past couple of weeks, but it's the fifth episode. <laughs> it is the fifth episode, and we figured out that Gina Rodriguez is a giant spider. <laughs> As a disclaimer, we both love Jane the Virgin love. so much. And I just want to put out there that just because we can criticize a celebrity does not give you permission to dismantle our arguments unless they're based in fact and sociological uh, evidence. I think that's a fair, <laughs> a fair ground. You threw a disclaimer out to the trolls. You said, if you were a troll, get educated, be an educated troll. Give me an uh, Emma Lee citation, please. We don't read APA, and we definitely don't fuck with Chicago. I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Chicago could get it. Like, mm, no thank you. <laughs> so, would you do the honors of introducing Gina Rodriguez, Trisha? I mean, if I have to, I guess. <laughs> um, so, Gina Rodriguez, who is she? She is a Puerto Rican actress. Um, she's not from Puerto Rico. She grew up in Chicago but she is um, the daughter of two Puerto Rican people. Um, she's super, super into her Latinidad. She's charitable. She kind of works in the industry in um, shows like Jane the Virgin, but she was also in big kind of movies like Miss Bala and Someone Great, if you've seen them. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. That's pretty much who she is. Uh, since... Uh Jane the Virgin launched her career. Um, she's been using her platform to amplify Latin voices. Um, if you've been following her for a while, you know she started Hashtag Movement Mondays. Um, she owns a production company now, which has also produced her Disney Plus show. I forget what it's called. It's something about uh, Diaries of a Middle School President or something like that, where <laughs> I don't know the title, but she plays a future Cuban president of the United States and they go back and forth between her and her middle grade self learning about like you know justice and like middle school and stuff which is cool That's incredibly problematic <laughs> how do you want to go and just be Cuban as if those are not completely different okay well I mean like you know how <laughs> you know how you're Latin and you grow up in the United States and people are like oh you're fucking Mexican right yes yeah, she like, said let me do I look Mexican <laughs> she said let me prove that right hold on um, so I want to say that with all the good that she's done, we cannot say that's absolved her of her anti-Black racism that's been perpetually coming up for the past couple of years, right? I don't yeah, know. First incident. When, when were you made aware of her anti-Blackness? Um, I got to say anti-Blackness for her that I first realized was the summer of 2017 is when she threw out those tweets about Marvel and I think everything from there on I kind of was like ooh and I ooh yeah the, her tweets were basically of the lines of it's great that they have a movie but where's my Latin representation 
I mean, if you want to read out the tweet, obviously you guys can see this on our website, but basically what she had tweeted out at the beginning of this whole Black Black Panther promotional lead up was um, Marvel and DC are killing it in inclusion and women, but where are the Latinos asking for a friend, dot, dot, dot. Well, (laughs) we as people of color should always applaud when other communities of color and specifically the black community gets justice in media. I think that is something that is perfectly fine to do. And I understand where Gina is coming from, but you can't just take down someone else's moment to try to climb to the top and say, this is my space, you know? Yes. It was incredibly reductive of her to do that in a moment that wasn't about her. And it necessarily wasn't even about the Latina community. It was sort of a moment of power for the Black community. Kind of in the same way that I would argue that Jane the Virgin was actually a moment of power for the Latina community. I do not, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I did not see any Black people coming out going, yeah, but where are all the Black people in Jane the Virgin? (laughs) It's entirely reductive to assume that each community can't have a separate moment of power and still root for each other. And going off of that, (laughs) using my English major terminology to piggyback. Transition words. I feel like with the criticism of Jane the Virgin with where are all the black people, that's actually totally valid because uh, in the past couple of years, there's been a real spotlight on the Afro-Latin community because I don't know about you, but I remember the first time seeing Latin representation on TV was probably Lizzie McGuire with, uh, what's her face, the best friend, Miranda. And she was portrayed, she's Mexican. She was supposed to be a white Latina. And as someone who is (laughs) from the Dominican Republic, from the Caribbean, it's like, it's cool to see Latin representation, but oftentimes we're seeing the white passing Latin community. Um, If you're familiar with, uh, what's that show called with Sofia Vergara? Oh, Modern Family. Modern Family. You're already having an image of an exotic European passing white woman. And with when I hear Gina Rodriguez coming forward with this information of attacking Black Panther, I feel like her claims of understanding Afro-Latinidad are completely messed up. Yeah. Actually, to kind of harp on that a little, and I know you know more about this than I do, so if you could talk to it a little, is like the history of where that comes from a little bit, especially in terms of, you know, the DR, because that's where your parents are from and that's kind of where your culture is from. But also, if you want to talk about Puerto Rico, that's cool too. But if you could speak on like anti-Blackness and sort of the Latin community historically, and so we can kind of make the connection between that and Gina and Sophia and all this sort of colorism that's happening in the industry now. Yeah. So I think we have to first establish the difference between race and ethnicity. So race is something that's visual representation. And these, con- these questions always confused me as a child. And I'm sure as you're all Gen Z and millennials, you've encountered this as well. It's like for a person who's Dominican, I don't have an option between white and black to put on because in my family, and I've spoken about this before, and you can see it in the DR, the history of colonization has completely changed the Latin diaspora. We have our indigenous people who were wiped out in the Caribbean, the Taino peoples. I remember learning about 
and then they uh, mixed. And so we had mulattoes who are uh, biracial people. And then we had the slaves who were brought over and it became this new culture, right? So in the Dominican Republic, um, we have these areas where there's like Santeria and that in, uh, came from the slaves who were, who uh, the Yoruba people, um, I believe, whose culture is integrated with Dominican culture. Um, we have some Spaniard uh, blood, as you can see in Dominicans who have, you know, lighter features, um, straighter hair, wavy. Um, and I'm not sure, I can't speak on the indigenous <laughs> populations, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure all of them were wiped out uh, in the DR. But that's where ethnicity comes in when you're talking about your culture. And so there are options that say white, Latino, and then I think just Hispanic, as if that's different, and it is, and I know that's the attempt to reconcile the differences between race and ethnicity, but again, as we've become aware, social constructs are not enough to label people, and we keep grasping onto them because of confusion and a need to define everything. But how do you define a diaspora that's been spread out, not just in the Caribbean, but across Latin America and in the United States as well? No, absolutely. But also in regards to that, right, you have this sort of mix, and this is the only time I will ever use this term correctly, you sort of do have this forced melting pot in the diaspora because of things like slavery and because of things like migrant work and because of just ancestry in general and the way your land is geographically formed, especially in South America, like especially in those countries, especially in the Caribbean, mm. because those are kind of... Um, the most economically viable, but also the most economically mistreated regions. Yeah. And so when you have that sort of like melding, forced melding, again, it's not like a, like we chose to meld like this. You also have what comes out of that, which is, I think, very clearly defined borders of human community. So when I mean borders, I don't mean geographically. Um, I think there are communities there are subsects of communities in the Latin world in which, you know, you belong to the Afro-Latin community or you belong to this region or you are a part of the indigenous community, you know, whatever it may be. And um, I think that too has a way of sort of coming back in this idea of like colorism, right? And the sort of way we're portraying Latins in this country sort of stems from the way they're being portrayed in their own or the way they're being spoken about at home. And so I guess, again, you know more about this than I do, but I would love to know where that comes from, right? It's like, now you have this melt, sort of, you have this pot of people, but now you also have these lines. And so where are the lines drawn? Like what characteristics make what? And why is there such a, I guess, not hatred, but why is there just such a big significance put on that difference because like I know for me as a South Asian right you I mean everyone knows this right Hindus and Muslims it's like the age-old tale of just like and you bring it over you do you just yeah. everywhere you immigrate you bring it over and for you can't get it out of your head you're just like this is what I've been indoctrinated with but it comes from a long long history of just like war and battle and yeah. being forced to live in a secular way when you're not really so I would like to know if that's you know similar in the Latin community or not yeah I think the issue you brought up with colorism is really, um, unfortunately, something that's common amongst a lot of uh, people of color communities. Um, I know that if we're talking about Caribbean people coming to America, 
and carrying their culture over on appearances visibly if we have a black Dominican family who would identify who. Here's where I get confused because I have been watching videos of Afro-Latin people talking about their identities and the moments in which they had that double consciousness, right? <laughs> or triple consciousness, I should say, of recognizing that you're Latin, you're black, and in some spaces you can't be either or you're both or one is constantly um, dominating all the conversations. So there were some who said, when I was in the DR visiting my family, they did not call me black. They just said I was Dominican. But then I come to the United States and they say, how can you be Dominican? You're black. And so I think gatekeeping happens within our community and even by people. It's not a shock that white people police our community, but I think it's especially potent when it's members of your own community who are doing so, right? So within my own family, um, I've spoken about this probably before, but I know that on my dad's side, whenever we go over, my mom has spoken about um, the differences and how they've been treated versus her family, right? Because my dad is more white presenting than my mother. And if we apply that to the communities in neighborhoods like West New York or even, uh, well, West New York's probably not a great you know, West New York is a good example. I have to say this. West New York is a predominantly Latin town, and there's a very small Black population that is just African-American. But if we're talking about Afro-Latinidad in West New York, it's those kids who I've never spoken to, but I'm wondering how they've been policed in their own schools as Latin kids and as Black kids. And maybe there's just no difference in that then. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling right now, but what I'm thinking about is this is the context that is so complicated that I think when we criticize Gina Rodriguez, we're missing this context. Yeah, I think it is really important in our analysis of sort of her behavior to first understand the, the platform or the sort of context from which she is derived as a human being. And then to put that all into, into perspective is like, what is she saying? And what does that mean for Latinas and Latinos everywhere? But also what does that mean for her as a public figure and her doing this sort of singular allyship for the Latin community? Um, and how is that problematized, especially when you have other actors and actresses who are kind of on the same scale. And I kind of want to bring up the second incident um, where Gina Rodriguez sort of made this claim and I do, I know you have things to say about her lack of research, especially in terms of when she says things. Um, <laughs> but she did at a actor's roundtable with, basically it was a discussion about pay, equity, and diversity. And it was with Ellen Pompeo, Gabrielle Union, and Emma Roberts. She stated that Latinas were paid the lowest wages. And I'm quoting her at this point. She said, white women get paid more than black women. And black women get paid more than Asian women and Asian women get paid more than the Latina women, and it's like a very scary space to step into. Now, if you've done your research, I cannot lie, Asian women are making more than Black women. That's just fact. Like, we just are, and that it's stupid and it's shitty, but again, I, you're going to hear me bring it up in every episode. I have to talk about it, but model minority status is a privilege, and you get to economically and politically and socially benefit from that privilege because your proximity to whiteness is just greater. And so you have greater access to these things. I do, you do. If you're Asian, you just have it. Okay. 
Latinas and Black people. Um, yes, I would say these are the most police communities. These are probably the most discriminated against communities. However, Black women still get paid the least. And if we are talking about Latinas in the industry, Sofia Vergara <laughs> gets paid so much. I think she was listed on a Forbes list for how much she gets paid. It's disgusting. <laughs> now, if Gina Rodriguez actually wanted to bring up the real issue, which might be that people like Sofia Vergara and people kind of like her, make that money off of some character of Latinidad, then yeah, that's a fair point. But to argue that Latinas are somehow in the worst position, um, it, it again, it's what you said in an earlier episode about a oppression olympics it's sort of wanting to be the most oppressed for some reason yeah and not recognize not recognizing the sort of oppression that that is universal to the minority communities in a way and finding your space in that it's not enough to say that you are the most oppressed and then disregard the oppression of others yeah yeah here's the thing because we cannot group gina rodriguez in the same line as sofia Vergara right? Because Gina is Latin, if we're thinking in terms of just race, of just visual. And so with Sophia, we can see her co-opting this more obviously than we can with Gina Rodriguez. I'll bring up another point, Callie Uchis, who is this Colombian-American singer. Okay, her music's fire. I like it. But here's the thing. For years, she passed herself off as what she is, which is a white Latina it just is. And in her recent albums and her promotional materials, you'll notice she's visibly darker. <laughs> her hair is darker and her features are like co-opting the Chicana movement, you know, like the thick eyebrows, gorgeous makeup, but it's not her culture. And so when she was called out on that, I don't have the exact tweet here, unfortunately, but we'll pull it up in our podcast guide because it was since deleted. Um, she basically said, I can't believe I'm getting called out on what I'm doing. I have done more for the Afro-Latin and Black community and people of color than anyone else. She pulled a lot of Del Rey, essentially. But that's the thing. When it's visual, when it's racial, it's very obvious to catch. But with Gina Rodriguez, she's in between because of the Latin diaspora, right? So when we hear her and her continual apologies on her lack of research and her terrible performative allyship, we have to consider that she's also in between communities. And while she may understand that Blackness is something that is part of our history as Latin people, it's not for everyone to claim if we're just thinking racially. For some people, you are inescapably Black. And what that means is that you will be policed, you will face oppression that not everyone in the Latin community can claim. And I don't know what it is about oppression Olympics. I think people love the idea of victimizing their own marginalization in order to perhaps get more attention. Maybe they think they're bringing attention to an issue, but what's really happening is that you are taking up space. And I don't think there's any better way to put that. No, absolutely. Um, and to speak on your Kali Uchi's point, Gina Rodriguez had a similar response when called out um, I think Sway in the Morning, which is a radio show, she basically got called out for these comments that she had been making sort of from 2017 to about 2018 as being anti-Black. And she sort of did this whole, like, I'm going to cry about it and be like, I, I never meant for it to be like that. But then also claimed that her father was an Afro-Latino. 
um, sort of as like a as a rope to save herself from drowning in the sea of comments. And yeah. so she threw it out there and she said, but my father is an Afro-Latino and blah, 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 blah. Um, while her father, again, historically may well be via you know, ancestry or geography or whatever, he does not racially nor visually fit that description. And for her to not only throw that piece of information out there as, again, sort of like Kali Uchi, she had been going, she had been capitalizing on being a sort of light-skinned Latina who's like fun and does salsa, like in the sort of cultural Latina. She decided in a moment of opportunistic chance to claim Afro-Latinidad when it was not hers. And so you're right about the taking up space. Um, but there's also sort of a side note to this, or I guess a jump off of this that I wanted to ask you about, because I don't, again, know much about it. But is there like um, certain stereotypes or descriptions of Blackness in Latin communities, especially like in the nations themselves? So in the Caribbean, are there like descriptors specifically that are ascribed to Black Latinos or Latinas? In the Caribbean, I think we've talked about this personally, we have pelo malo versus pelo bueno. And I want to say that in researching for this episode, I came across <laughs> a community of white Latinos and Latinas, or Latinx people, I should say, to be gender neutral, that created a shirt that said pelo bueno and wore it to promote the fact that they were white passing. Now, I don't know the appeal in having good hair um, because I've never faced it from a systemic level. I've only had it from my family. Um, but I do know that in the DR, upon visiting resor resorts with my family, that all of the darker skinned Dominican people and the ones who had, you know, kinky natural hair were the maintenance workers. I only saw them cleaning my room. And you go to the servers and they're the ones who have the stereotypically pelo bueno. I've heard uh, nicknames of Negrita. And it's like, I have to say that nicknames in our culture are supposed to be mean, but there is a difference between having mean and having racially uh, oppressive language in these descriptors. Um, I unfortunately don't know more about uh, current oppression from that side. I'm more familiar with Trujillo's era, um, who was a dictator in the DR, I have to say, um, who whose reign brought over white Americans and white Cubans to lighten up the population. And he was involved in the genocide of thousands of Haitians. Um, so we have anti-blackness within the own population, but we also have it because of a historic civil war with Haiti, which is the island. Haiti and the Dominican Republic are on an island called Hispaniola. They share it. And so there have been wars and liberation that they both used each other to help. But as we all know, anti-Blackness is something that's not just American. <laughs> it is within all communities. And we had this genocide and now we have these tensions with Haiti that are slowly being resolved by millennials and Gen Z on the island. But ultimately, the relationship between the two has been exacerbated. Yeah, so... Yeah, that was a great um, load of information, definitely, about the Dominican Republic, because as much as I know and don't know, um, that is one thing I definitely know, right? You end up going to school and you, if there's one thing you learn about is Trujillo and you learn about sort of the Mirabal sisters, 
I think everyone has had an experience within the time of the butterflies, but I don't think everybody recognizes even in that story, the sort of, cause it's not really mentioned. It's not, I don't think necessarily important to the sister's story, but I think when we're teaching, we tend to forget that Trujillo definitely did have an anti-Haitian like movement going. And um, I think I read a poem somewhere and I can't remember what it's called for the life of me, but it was something about the way Haitians, Haitian Hispanics would, say there are that he had like a very particular issue with yes do you know what I'm talking about if you can explain that test. okay and yeah so you you go I'm sorry <laughs> well to, I'm so glad you brought that up um I don't know the poem you're talking about but I remember that there's also a book about it about the experience of this black girl from Haiti trying to pass in the DR and so there are specific words um because Haiti um they have uh, French ancestry. So obviously their pronunciations are very different from the Spaniards. Um, and so to cross the border, um, there would be military police there who would check for language. And so some Haitians were able to get away with it because they knew and they were practicing. Um, it just goes to show you how supremacist language is overtly used to police and can lead to violence. If you don't think your words have any impact on a community online when you're trolling someone, just know this happened in real life and you you suck. <laughs> You're perpetuating yeah. the same nonsense. Um, language is, I, I've, I say it all the time and I will say it again, language is entirely made in the favor of the oppressor. Um, and it will always be that way because the way language sort of filters down to, to minorities is through colonization. And so you can't have any language that that is free. Language is not free. It is a thing that is constructed in the favor of oppression. However, when we're talking about language, and that's why I kind of sort of brought this up, is like if you look at this past in which language was sort of used to to separate communities and to create this anti-blackness, then Gina Rodriguez becomes extremely problematic in this last scenario, which I don't think I have an exact date for. So if you do on bar, you throw it out there. I just remember it was October. <laughs> okay, yeah. So she was on Instagram Live, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, um, here you go. She was singing a Fuji song. Um, we love Lauren Hill. And they say the N-word in the song, which they can do. These are African-American women and men in the Fugees. Gina Rodriguez is singing along, and she says the N-word on Instagram Live. This is where language becomes entirely problematic, especially when you adhere to community constructs like they do in the Latin community, especially in the Dominican Republic, right? She, in her apology, kind of gave this like half-ass response about how she was sorry and she knew what the word meant and she was just singing along. But I want to quote this one specific part of her apology that was just absolutely not apologetic, in which she said, I grew up loving the Fugees and Lauren Hill. I thoughtlessly sang along to the lyrics of a favorite song and even worse, I posted it. A moment of silence. <laughs> yeah, I I want listeners to ruminate on that sentence because what she said was, I thoughtlessly sang to a song, but what's worse than me saying the N-word is that you saw me say it, you heard me say it. And I think that is the biggest issue with women like Gina Rodriguez and they exist in every community, but that's what happens when they get public power is they start to sort of misrepresent a certain community, mm -hmm. but also people like that 
especially people, again, this is not just Gina Rodriguez, people who of color who feel very comfortable using the N-word who are not African-American. And you could be from the diaspora, I hear you, but if you do not racially fit that type, then you do not have the power to say that word because if we're being very honest, historically it wouldn't have been used against you probably. And it wouldn't have been for you. So you cannot reclaim something that wasn't meant for you. You cannot reclaim something that wouldn't have been used against you. You cannot reclaim something that is not within your space. And again, I I love to reiterate this on this channel. And I think we should just change our tagline to don't take up space that is not yours. Um, and if you would like to elaborate on that, Ambar, and what you have on that that would be very interesting because I think this is really where the language becomes the the main issue here. It's the language you use to differentiate people, but it's also the language you use to sort of subsume their culture anyways. So I want to say something on accountability culture first, is that I think cancel culture is well-intentioned because we're tired of people in positions of power not having consequences. The problem is that with cancel culture, there are no consequences. You're canceled for like a day. Like how silent was Gina for like a couple of weeks before she posted that apology, right? And you assume in that silence, she's educating herself. But by her apology, we know it's just a PR crisis for her. There is nothing to learn. And I also want to say that for all the time she spent talking about being Latina this, proud Latina, I'm so happy to be a Boricua, she will say I grew up with the black community because I had nothing, but she's very quick to deny that and become a Latin again. Your proximity to whiteness may give you power, but your proximity to blackness and in its culture is not an excuse and not permission for you to use it. And so with the Latin community specifically, with her, she grew up in a predominantly Latin neighborhood in Chicago called Belmont Creighton. Now, I don't know their demographics. I don't know what the neighborhood looks like, but if it's anything like West New York, then I know that because it's a low income neighborhood, you are going to be grouped in with quote unquote, the ghetto ideology, which is that you're black culturally because of oppression. And that is a harmful ideology that has been spewed on in the media, in books. You learn about it in classrooms. I remember seeing, um, reading about the ghettos in World War II and hearing jokes from my classmates about how Hudson County was basically just one big one, right? Because of all the thugs who were walking around. And that is such a harmful thing to perpetuate, not only because you're harming people that you may not know, but for the Latinos who are perpetuating that, it's equating themselves with the oppression of the black community. And as they get older, as they recognize that they're white passing, I should hope, they learn that it was wrong or they continue spewing it because it's like, oh, that's where I grew up. So I have an excuse. And so when I think of Gina Rodriguez growing up in a neighborhood like that and having an apology like that, it just shows me that she has not come to that recognition that whatever her upbringing was, it was not an absolution for saying the N-word at all. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I think for her too, it's what happens when you sort of appropriate somebody else's culture for popularity or benefit for your own personal cause here is you give people the agency to do the same. And especially when you're a public figure of that regard and a role model for so many, because I know you mentioned earlier that like, obviously Jane the Virgin and shows like that. And Gina Rodriguez sort of comes up in this era of like wanting to be represented. And she is representation for a lot of women 
and probably even men, right? Or anyone, Latinx folks. But she she sort of gave the agency in all of these moments when she said that thing about Marvel and when she said that thing about Black women getting paid more. When she said the N-word, she's, she's giving autonomy and agency to other people to do the same. And so when they do that, they will quote Gina Rodriguez and they will say there was no responsibility there, so why should I take it, right? Why does the responsibility fall on my back to to care about a community that is you know, so separate from mine. But I do, and again, obviously there are hierarchies of oppression. I'm not denying that there are people who are more worse off than others, but there has to be some sort of semblance of unity in minority communities where they understand that at the end of the day, no matter how close you get to privilege or how far away you are from it, somebody will look at you from the side of privilege and still see you as a minority regardless. It doesn't really matter. And obviously things go into play that make it matter and you start to realize like, yeah, there are people who are way way worse off just because of history and because of the economy and because of housing segregation and all the above. But at some point that line of unity has to run through minority communities. And until that happens, we cannot be an effective, we cannot be an effective group fighting for something if you don't really believe in it, you know? So for Gina to sort of use these words and to to make even more division amongst groups of minorities is crazy to me because at the end of the day, you will face the same problem or a similar problem. There's got to be overlap, you know, somewhere. And you have to recognize that if you're fighting for you, you're also fighting for them. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hear that. I remember the pride in which with each season of Jane the Virgin, it was like our writer's room is predominantly Latino. We have representation in uh, the the set workers and stuff. And I remember hearing about criticism from the Afro-Latin community that you don't see Black Latinos there. And so I think back to her ignorance in thinking of like that quote that Angela Davis has, her belief where she's like, diversity should never just be a corporate strategy. I don't want to hear about diversity in the workplace if it's not being held up with policy and systemic change. And so I think back to that quote where, and even that episode where we we had Never Have I Ever, where you were talking about it's not enough to have people on the TV screen if there's nothing good coming from it. So I think with Jane the Virgin, while it was a cultural landmark, it missed the mark and highly deserving of its criticism and just shows that you can be an ally for the Latin community. You can call yourself that way, but you don't represent all Latin lives if you're ignoring Black Latinos. Absolutely. And I mean, also kind of as a side note, like a sort of quirky observation here. (laughs) You set the show in Miami. You're not going to tell me there were Cubans there. Huh? Like, there was only Puerto Rican Gina and her family? Actually, Jane was Venezuelan. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's only Venezuelan (laughs) Gina. I'm like, I went to Miami about a year ago, and I'm not going to lie. The sort of vision of Miami is true. Cubans are everywhere, and that just has to do with geographical proximity. Mm. But then you can't just neglect, again, this is what I mean, unity. You cannot neglect to show the truth of the makeup of America, and it's the fact that Hispanics exist here in all forms, all places. They came from all places, 
and they all came from certain diasporic traditions. And so for Gina to sort of essentialize the Hispanic community, yeah, um, diminishes the way they'll be represented for years to come. It's like if you are sort of put in that space where you have that kind of power, you do a disservice by misrepresenting them because unfortunately for us, the people that be, the people that are in power will will use that misrepresentation for years and think it's okay. I also want to talk about the misrepresentation you were bringing up. It's that you have this power so you can bring more people to the forefront, but you can also act as someone to call others out on their bullshit. If you remember, American Dirt came out a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. American Dirt is a novel. Let me pull up the publishing information on it but it's basically a book about Mexico immigration and the cartel crisis and it was written by Janine Cummings who is a white woman a white passing Latina if we are to give her that she can only claim Latin ancestry through a very distant relative and so when we're talking about own voices here we don't have someone telling a story correctly. We don't have the right representation, especially if you're going to brownwash the entire Latin community, especially because Janine Cummings referred to Mexico as this faceless brown mess. Now, when we dissect that, if we're going to annotate it, you know, English major style, faceless brown mass, brown has such a loaded context here. There has been so much brown face in the Latin community on media and old Hollywood. If we're going to talk about reparations, maybe reparations isn't the right word to use, but if we're going to talk about restoring justice, look at West Side Story, a critically acclaimed film, beloved by all, but Rita Moreno is in brown face. We have faceless. It's to essentialize the entire experience of the Latin diaspora. And we have mass at the end, which is just showcasing how America may see it, and I understand Janine Cummings' intention in bring, in bringing awareness to this. However, you're not the right person for it. And when we bring Gina Rodriguez into the mix, this is a woman who I'm sure did not read the book before promoting it on all of her socials. Oprah probably did not, or if she did, she didn't pick up on this. And Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek was called out and she rightfully apologized. I love Salma Hayek, okay? This is a woman who takes accountability. I'm pretty sure Gina did not. <laughs> Fucking amazing woman. Yeah. But Gina did not apologize. I'm certain she just deleted the posts and probably just made some bland statement of like, we support equality. But if you're so concerned about the Latin community, Gina, what are you doing to protect it from harmful people who are appropriating the own voices movement? Yeah. No, absolutely. And actually on that point, I do kind of want to talk about here are the charities, right, that she and I'm probably missing a few, but these are the things that she sort of donates to or is involved with. Right. And I want to read them out to you because I think it's very interesting that she chose these set of things. Mm. Okay. She is um, on the board of directors of the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. Okay. She teamed up with the Parent Advocacy Coalition for Educational Rights, which um, is like the National Bullying Prevention Center. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she basically raised money for the Be Good to Each Other campaign, which is very ironic. Um, She was announced a partner of Naha, which is a lingerie line found in 2014, which helps um, women in the environment. And Gina claimed that she sort of joined Naha 
because she had seen the hardships of single mothers through a close friend in college, and she wanted to support a company that primarily employed single mothers and allowed them to work from home and provide for their families. And then in 2017, um, she sang on the single Almost Like Praying, which the proceeds of the song benefited those affected by Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Okay, those choices that she's making. I'm not denying that Gina Rodriguez has done great things for her community. I'm not saying, oh my God, she sucks for donating to only Latin things. What I'm arguing here is a lot of her donations and a lot of her choices to link up with certain things come from personal experience. They do not come from any sort of research. They don't come from a, um, a want or a willingness to to be a part of a community and to be involved in a community, they come from her response. It's an emotional reaction to her her life. And I, I fear that if Gina Rodriguez had never experienced certain things, if she had never, you know, been growing up in a primarily Latin community, if she had never seen her friends go through single motherhood or things like that, she would not be donating to these things, right? She would not attach her name to these things and when she's a part of this sort of national bullying prevention that says be good to each other and she wants she hopes the future everyone will be good to each other and yet publicly she'll also go out and say things like the n-word and only half-ass apologize it becomes extremely problematic in that her allyship is not only performative but it's detrimental because now she's giving her money to things that sort of will help people, but for all the wrong reasons. And she gets to attach her name to something good based on her personal bias. And so we can we can laud her for, for being financially responsible for goodness, but not morally. Like she just has no moral right to that, but she will claim it. Now, I think that is such a great point to bring up. And I think here is where perhaps listeners can identify with Gina Rodriguez because as we've seen in the past few weeks with Black Lives Matter entering our timelines, it's people who are learning that they don't need personal experience. You don't need a Black friend surprise to care about yes. You don't need to be trans or to know a trans cousin or something to care about Black trans lives and especially Black women. If you're a feminist and your feminism doesn't include women of the black community, of the indigenous, of people. It is called intersectionality, kid. <laughs> Kimberly is your resource on that, and I will I will keep it at that. But with this showing that Gina hasn't done enough, and what she is doing is because of personal value for her, it just shows that your donations mean nothing if they're not intended in the best places. And I think this is something that Trisha can agree on because she is the one that will always break down empathy versus understanding. It's like, know your space and know that you can protect other people's spaces, but you shall never infiltrate. Yeah. And she would be the prime example, truly, of that. I feel like all of these podcasts have sort of ended on the same note, at least for the last three weeks, which is like knowing your space. But I could not emphasize how really, truly important it is and, you know, and I feel like at this point, there also needs to be a clarifier of space, right? Because Ambar did a really great job earlier of sort of separating ethnicity from race. 
But that doesn't mean there are not other denominations, right? Like there are racial denominations to people. There are ethnic ones. There are national ones. There are economic ones. Religious. And space, and I, and I absolutely believe this, space does not have to belong to any one of those things I just listed. You do not have to describe to any of those things, right? If you feel like those are all made up social constructs that you don't want to buy into, and that doesn't define what space you live in, then that's great. But then you still have a defined space. And I never want you guys to think space just means some social categorization because it doesn't. It means a personal boundary set by your cultural, sexual, um, ethnic, national, whatever preferences you have, that is your space. Your space is your identity. And I have no right to subsume it. And I have no right to, to, to trample on it or to put my foot in it. Um, you have every right to push me out. And so she said, Rachel Dole is all that was meant for you. <laughs> no, I really did. And he said, for people who do not feel so affronted by that, right? If your space is perfectly intact, then you need to think about how big it is and who's it's kind of covering. Yeah. I feel like when we talk about these things, sometimes I feel silly because it seems very obvious to me. But that's because it's just <laughs> my experience and my own research. It's just showing that once you do the research, these things will make sense. And intuitively, you will understand how not to strut over someone else's space. Yes. And also, if you're a person who is extremely researched, right? And here's, again, a point I make on Gina Rodriguez that maybe Ambar will agree with, is that she does not really do enough research in her allyship. She does not she does not read enough. She definitely doesn't look to other scholars. She never mentions any other scholars um, about Latinidad and about where her, her movements and where her sort of um, allyship is coming from. And so it falls flat, especially if, you know, like, I agree with Ambar in that I feel like when we talk about these things, I feel like they're obvious, but you have to realize that if you have done the research and you are supremely educated, right, you may realize everything we're talking about is stuff you've considered already, then take the next step of educating someone else. And I've said this before, but the work is not done when you are done, you know, the work is, is complete when I don't have to have this conversation every week on a podcast. <laughs> And especially when you recognize that when your friends who are Black and people of color are suffering because of things that are happening in their community, you don't really have to, you're not entitled to re reach out and check in on them because if anything, it feels like you're being policed for a certain emotion you're supposed to be having in response to the collective trauma. Right. Also, just, you know, if you guys didn't get this already, this is going to be a complete side note and the smallest thing I could say, but I mean it. If uh, if you're a minority that is not African, do not say the N word. That that shit really gets me. Um, and I just it matter if your black friend gave you permission. Yeah, I just truly I don't want to hear it. If if it's in a song, if it's in a book, some of you are like, oh, but it's in the book. It's in To Kill a Mockingbird. I have to say it. I'm like, no, you really don't have to say it. That's also meant for white educators who insist that because it was in an academic setting, it's okay. It's not. I mean, forget even just, not even just white. Again, I stand by the minorities thing. For educators who are non-white and you say the N-word in these books and you reiterate it to kids, and I know your excuse is going to be, well, we have to talk about it. It's there for a purpose. Great. 
talk about why the word is there, what the word means, where it's coming from. And I could do that all without saying the actual word like I just did. And so this is really the culminating belief here is that if Gina Rodriguez didn't have to say it, neither do you. I can't think of a better line to end on in this episode. (laughs) Yert, that was it, kids. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Tune in next week. Hopefully you've stuck with us since June 24th. If not, if you're a new listener, hello. But also if you stopped listening, goodbye, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we ain't mad at you. We're a lot. We know it can get intense, but hopefully the next few weeks sort of picks it back up. And we hope you guys are learning something because we are. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Big shout out to Kieran Choi and his brother, Connor Choi. Check them out. You can find them on YouTube. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. And also... Big thank you to our sound designer, Laura Feliz. She is a recent graduate of TCNJ's graphic design program. Check out her Instagram for more information. Women of Dolor aims to alienate no one and address everyone in discussing topics of culture, society, and humanity in a way that bridges gaps of understanding and illuminates misinformation.